This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Are you a little too comfortable with self-loathing? Tired of feeling like you are not enough? Carrington Smith spent a lifetime trying to be someone else, to fit in, to be loved, to keep the peace, and to make others happy. Until finally, Carrington discovered that her own path to happiness wasn't based on fitting in, but on standing out. Celebrating her uniqueness and owning her past. Candid and raw, her book, Blooming, takes you on a treasure hunt to discover the gifts in the shit. Shit is quite literally fertilizer. It is in the messes, failures, trauma, and difficulties of life that we discover what we need to bloom into our greatness. From trauma to triumph, through the depths of sexual assault, religious mindfuckery, family rejection, body dysmorphia, midlife metamorphosis, physical scarring, and death into happiness, forgiveness, empathy, purpose, belonging, and joy. Carrington's work is a poignant, powerful account of finding your way through the shit. Valeria Tellez interviews Carrington Smith, the author of Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. Carrington Smith is a single mom, attorney, business owner, and executive search professional. Despite being born with a silver spoon in her mouth, life gave her a hard kick in the tail. She has survived sexual assault, two divorces, piles of debt, abuse, religious mind games, the death of loved ones, and the loss of close friends. In her best-selling debut memoir, Carrington combines wit and wisdom to share her journey through the shit with a positive attitude and a shift of mindset into a life bursting with joy, opportunity, and purpose. A graduate of UT Austin and Tulane Law School, Carrington resides in Austin, Texas with her two teenage boys. Meet Carrington at carringtonlegal.com. Here is the interview with Carrington Smith. In your own words, who is Carrington Smith? 
Carrington is a not just a survivor, she's a thriver, someone who finds the opportunity in adversity, an optimist, someone who's passionate about passionate about living her best life and making sure that I touch people along the way. How did you come to these understandings about life, of sharing what you know, learning lessons from difficulties? Well, I went through a lot. And I actually, I interview executives for a living. And one of the things I look for when I'm interviewing executives is how they experience some adversity. Because... I don't believe that anyone is prepared to lead until they themselves have overcome adversity and, you know, navigated around obstacles in life. And so for me, it was a whole series of life experiences that gave me the, um, the wisdom and the lessons that have me where I am today. And how do you define leadership these days? I think that probably the most important part of leadership these days is courage and the ability just to stand up for what you believe in. And then, I mean, there's so many aspects to leadership, but that's the most important one these days, I feel like. I often ask the question, why is that? Why do we have to make so much effort to be ourselves? Is that because we somehow are still trying to fit in to please others? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a big part of my life story. I spent most of my life trying to fit in, whether it was in my family, trying to be like them, or it was with friends or sorority sisters or girlfriends or professionally. I was, I, I refer, if anybody's seen the movie, The Matrix, yeah. how, <laughs> they, how, how he shapeshifts himself I kind of joke that that's that was me through life, shape shifting, you know, moving moving myself whatever way it took to try to fit in. But through that process, you lose who you really are. And a big part of my journey was realizing that it was more important to stand out than it was to fit in. And I also wonder if this is something that women go through more often than men trying to fit in. I think it is. I mean, it is. A, everyone goes through it to some extent, but but I do feel like women more than men, whatever reason, we're more social beings. I think men who are independent are that's praised and encouraged more. And for us women, we're all about getting along and and fitting into our various groups. Yeah. What is the balance between? trying to please others and deeply connecting with ourselves and others at the same time. Is there a balance? Oh, wow. I don't know about a, a balance. I can tell you that when some people, it, it's hard for them to connect deeply. And if you are a little too authentic, they may, and I see this with women in particular, they may start criticizing you and trying and try to blame and shame you back into fitting in because your authenticity and your courage makes them feel bad about themselves. And it, so, yeah, balance is a tough word. I don't know how to, how to, I'm not sure how to answer that. I often see balance as a dance. <laughs> it's not this 
stable and static kind of place to be, but this constant movement, trying yeah. to find the best way to be in this reality, in the world, in a way that we can get benefits for ourselves and others at the same time. I really love this idea that we can live in such a way, helping ourselves and others at the same time. I'm not sure how much this is possible. From my own experience, it is possible to do yeah. that. Well, I, I guess I'm understanding better what you're asking. And it is a delicate dance. Uh, I, I very much agree with you on that because we think about I mean, just by way of example, if you're driving down the road, you are agreeing to abide by certain traffic laws. And if you say, well, I just want to be me and me just wants to spin in circles. Well, clearly, well, clearly, clearly that's not going to work. Right. Because you there are there are certain minimum societal norms where we have to fit in to to conduct ourselves in society. And I think that's kind of the balance you're talking about. It's like, how do I authentically be me and still stay in the lane and you know, stay within certain societal norms. And so, but I think kind of looking at it from that direction of there are certain things I need to do to be able to operate successfully in the society. And in that way, I need to fit in. I need to abide by the laws. I need to, you know, have good manners or there's certain, you know, being kind to others or certain things, but within those parameters, learning to be our authentic selves, but it's also understanding that there are parameters to, to this. It's not just go out there and, you know, wreck, wreck all, all, all norms, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I see that some people have tried that. I don't know how far they could go. Yeah. That doesn't right. really work. Yeah. I love the way you said that the, the example of the car of driving yeah. lanes. Yeah. So true. It's kind of funny, but it's so true. <laughs> yeah. What about success? How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Success for me is two things really primarily. It's it's peace and it's connection. And so for, you know, peace has to do with a lot of things. It may be not worrying about money because you reached some level of financial success, but it's also having done it in a way that you're not worried about someone coming after you or, you know, you haven't done anything to hurt anyone. And then connection is about, you know, at the end of the day, do you have those you know, relationships with people that are deep, where you are making deposits, and, you know, it's reciprocal, and you're making a difference in people's lives. Those are the things that I think are most important to me and how I define success. And another open question is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? Oh, wow. I think that and this may kind of dovetail into what you just asked about success. If we mm. get to heaven, is God going to say, was your life successful or not? Mm. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we handle what we've been given. And do we, in the choices we make on a very small, you know, micro level on a day-to-day basis, what are we doing with what we've been given? Are we able to use it to propel us forward, to touch other people's lives? Are we able to learn the lessons we're supposed to to build on them? Or are we waiting in negativity and and drowning and not using the gifts that God's given us? Are we, are we squandering them? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's how I would answer that. What is your idea of God, Carrie? What, where, and who is God to you? Oh, wow. You know, it's really interesting because if, as you know, from reading my book, 
God is a big subject for me. I came from a family that, you know, sort of on a daily basis, recreated, uh, redefined what their religion was. And it became very confusing for me. And what I really boiled it down to, because I've always had this deep relationship with God, despite all the craziness around me. And I really go back to the the core tenets where it's like the greatest, the greatest law of all is to love one another and to treat people, you know, how you would like to be treated. Those like core, core values about, you know, fairness and decency. And, and so for me, I, I see God in everything. I don't know whether God is a he or a she or, and I, I, I struggle with getting stuck in a particular religion because I find out a lot of that just makes people feel feel bad about themselves and tends to inhibit them as opposed to experience God's joy. And so for me, it's much more about appreciating everything around you and finding the good in things and seeing how just God's energy is active all around us. And so it's for me, it's a much more, it's a much deeper, more universal thing. Another question related to that, I guess, is um, the idea of being here in a human body and going through all these challenges that we go through. Is that something that we have chosen or God, per se, has given us that assignment, that lifetime to learn those lessons? Or do you have other understandings? Oh, wow. I've never... I've never even considered that question. <laughs> that's a that's a new one for me. I don't know about it being an assignment. That's sort of an interesting thought. I don't know how to answer that. I I believe that um, I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm, and I just I try to. I don't know how to answer that. I'm sorry. In a way, you did. We are where we are supposed to be, in a way. So yeah. whatever we go through, it's part of the experience of life. I want to ask you a question about healing. What is healing to you? And what are some of the obstacles to healing? Oh, the first, let me answer the, the second part first. The obstacles to healing are bitterness, anger, resentment. Those are the things that are the obstacles to healing. I, you know, I have friends and this may be, people may not agree with me on this, but I've had some friends who, you know, become ill and I look back over their lives and I, I, in my mind, I pinpoint a spot where something happened that they just never let go of. And it's has, it may even, you know, directly impact their health. And of course they don't, they maybe aren't aware of that, but I think that these resentments and bitterness actually, you know, they are deep seated things that impact our health. And for instance, I have a friend that's going through a divorce right now and she's choosing to spend her time fighting with her ex-husband. And I, the way I view that is I only have so much time in a day and I have a choice what energy I want to use, whether it's going to be positive energy that you know, fills my soul and lifts me up, or if it's going to be negative energy that defeats me. And in my personal experience, my life, not necessarily right for everyone, but I chose to, on a daily basis, I choose to not engage in things that may put me in that negative energy space, because it's more important to me 
to move forward than get stuck with some negativity. I love this practice. It is a practice, isn't it, Karen? It is, yeah. To be aware that we have options. I don't know about choice because sometimes it really feels like we can't really choose because we are not prepared to. We don't see the options, some of us. So in a way, it's beautiful when we are open enough to see the options we have. I don't need to be negative all the time. Yes. And one of the things that I think is really important for people, and it's a practice that I've learned, is to pay attention to how my body feels. Mm, Yeah. And if I feel tense or it makes me sick to my stomach or I feel tired whenever that topic or subject comes up, that's a big sign to me. This is something I need to resolve, whether it's, you know, closing that door, moving beyond, but it's not a space I want to live in. And so when I feel that with my body, it's, I really try to pay attention to those signals. Yeah, that's a a very good, a wise way of going through the process of healing even, because the body has been said so many times, it doesn't lie. It's very honest. It's an honest organism. It would just tell you how it is exactly right now. (laughs) Exactly. Unlike the mind, right? We look for escapes with the mind and denials and all that. Another question I have that relates to healing is what surprised you most during your own healing experience? What surprised me most? I think, well, maybe the thing that surprised me the most is that I was able to heal. I, I, you know, I think sometimes when we're in the depths of despair, we don't see a way out. I know that for me, there were times where I didn't see a way out. I was like, I'm drowning or, you know, I, I later in life was badly burned and was badly scarred. And I thought I could never leave the house again. I thought I was a monster. And I just held on to the belief that I would be healed. And I kept looking for the way to get there. And I, I honestly, if you had told me, that I would be where I am today, I never would have believed you. Right. So I think (laughs) part of it is just that belief, holding on to it, believing in miracles. I mean, it's, Mm. yeah. So you wrote the book, Blooming, Finding Gifts in the S-H-I-T of Life. Yes. So um, how did you become a writer? And what was the main inspiration and intention to write your book? I started writing years ago. Uh, I was actually an English major in college. The first story that I actually wrote was the story of being raped, which uh, that flowed out of me in law school. But the real, the impetus behind the book was when COVID hit, I observed, and it was all over the news, people talking about all the bins in the street of you know, when the garbage man came by and there's bins full of bottles of wine and alcohol bottles, you know, people were drinking, people were depressed, sad. I, you know, I witnessed how other people were coping with what was a universal trauma to our society and realized that my response was completely different. And it was one of hope and opportunity and resilience. And it occurred to me suddenly that all that I'd been through in life, the experiences that I had, whether it was divorce or death or 
body dysmorphia. I mean, there were a whole host of things I experienced, but they were universal experiences that people could relate to. And that how I drew on those experiences to develop what I refer to as the muscle of mindset to, you know, and learned how to be emotionally resilient. If I could pass that wisdom on to people, that it would be a huge benefit. And so I wrote the book as a gift to people who were struggling. And I thought, and I'm, I'm a big believer that people learn through stories as opposed to being told what to do. And so I thought by sharing my stories, but in a very real, raw and authentic way, and to take you know, the readers on a journey to how I was able to heal, that people would learn through my experiences and take from them what they could. And hopefully this would touch a lot of people and help them to deal with, like I say, a universal trauma right now and, and walk away with some wisdom and some emotional strength. You're also the founder of Carrington Legal Executive Search. Talk to me for a moment about that and what services you offer and how it works. So, yes, I have a legal executive search firm and we get retained by corporations mainly, but also law firms to help them find the talent that they need. And with corporations, I've had the wonderful um, opportunity to interview thousands of, of executives over the years to you know, fill these placements. And this is where it dovetails with my book. And that is with these executives to find out who they are and what they're made of. I have a question I love to ask. And that question is, we all have moments in life that define us. Can you tell me about a moment that shaped you and how it did? And it's the answers to that question that have been just so wonderful and amazing and tell me so much about who somebody is and what they're made of. I love that question. <laughs> and I, I actually have it here. And I wanted to ask that question to you because the section in your book that really caught my attention, as I mentioned off record too, before the interview, is the um, chapter 17, Defining Moments, where yes. you tell, you show actually all the defining moments in your life. So for a moment, how do you pass that message on here on the podcast. I know there were many moments, not just one, but would you say that one moment was more impactful than the others or all of them equally defined you? Well, I think many, I don't think usually any one moment defines somebody, but that's why it's moments because, but there are some that maybe have that overarching sort of send you on a direction in life. And, you know, probably with that, it's, again, it's actually more a collection of moments than a single moment. But my childhood growing up with the family that I did definitely shaped who I am and taught me how to, or actually gave me the greatest gift, which I say is intuition. And if I hadn't grown up in a family where I was walking on eggshells and constantly sort of having to look around the corner and figure out what was going to happen next, I wouldn't have inherited or developed the traits that I have today. So I look at my childhood, which others look at as sad or tragic. I look at it as the training ground for 
this wealth of riches that, that have come my way. And if I hadn't gone through those experiences, I wouldn't be where I am today. So that's how I view that. I'm thinking here, how can we, for some of us who are still in a way stuck, thinking that way, that our childhood traumas and difficulties, they are sad moments that we cannot learn anything about, but quite the opposite. That's the reason why we are depressed or sad or anxious. What is your message to those who are listening to you now? What is the first step per se? Well, so the reason I gave the book the title that I did is because it's for a couple of different reasons. One is to really reach people where they are. And when we talk about life's difficulties and traumas and messes, we refer to it as shit. (laughs) And, (laughs) but the reality is that shit is quite literally a fertilizer. And if we realize that we go, wait a second, all that just trauma or drama or all that I went through, that horrible experience, that's, fertilizer that's going to nourish me. And as I like to say, it's what I needed. You need fertilizer to bloom into your greatness. And so one of the most important things for people to do is to actually own their shit. Mm -hmm. We (laughs) women in particular like to like to push it out and uh, out of the way and not think about it. And we don't want to look at the ugly, right? We don't. And so what I really advocate is owning it, like say, okay, yeah, all right. I, I, I was raped. I, I, I was abused. I did have this horrible experience. I I was divorced, but then examining it. And first of all, the, another big part for women where, where we don't give ourselves permission is to get angry. We're not allowed to get mad, but we, in order to heal, you have to, as I like to say, I had to reach rage to reach forgiveness. And so I had to own what happened to me and say, you know what? That sucked. It hurt. That person made me mad. And once I did that, then I could grieve and move through it and then get on the other side of it and say, okay, wait, all right. I've acknowledged that this really sucked and I've gotten mad and I've grieved. And now I'm going to take a look at this and say, well, maybe there's something good in here that I can take away from this and use what happened to me to propel me through life. And that is like the most magical thing that you can ever get out of something horrible that happened to you. And if you're able to take what happened to you and turn it into something that was given to you and take ownership of it and then repurpose it into something that you can use to motivate and propel you through life, that is where things get great. So it seems to me like the first step, it's being open, isn't it, Karen? Yeah. If there is a first step, being curious. What can I learn from this? Asking questions. So that comes from curiosity and being open. Yeah, and it's it's about not pushing stuff down. I mean, I think we tend, women, we tend to to sweep it away or shove it under the bed and pretend it didn't happen. It's about actually acknowledging and saying, okay, I need to work through this. If I don't work through this, it could harm me physically. I believe that, but but let's own it and then examine it and actually kind of get dirty in it. That's something that I, I see around me. So many people who are very much 
trying to escape and avoid healing, the process of healing, because it's so painful. Because it is painful, my care, to go back and analyze it again and uh, rethink what happened and even write about as you did. I did too. Yeah. So that's very painful. And is there something about being ready to heal? What is your view on being open and ready to heal? Is there such a thing or something else is happening that I cannot see? I think it, you, it, you do have to be open and ready to heal. I think there are two groups of people and one group likes to wallow and be stuck. And it, this, this is where you, it is about making choices. If you want to heal, if you want to move through or move past, it's about, you know, taking steps to do that. And I th- there are two people, two groups of people, those who like to wallow and those who like to move through and grow. And I mean, that's kind of how my life experience, that's what I've witnessed anyway. And that's another question that I usually ask. Why do we feel comfortable in pain? Yeah, that is something that is so interesting to see because I see the repetition, that pattern just repeating itself. And it's very painful, yeah. but they are not able to get out of that cycle. There's some people who who have so bought into this victimhood thing mm, yeah. that that that's yeah. becomes part of their identity. And so to to move through it would be to reject their identity as they see themselves. And then the other part of that is that people, they wallow in it. And yeah, it's about identity. And it's also about people like what's familiar. And so I think some people, they're so used to pain that if you were to offer them comfort, they, they wouldn't know how to receive it mm, because yeah. it's unfamiliar to them. What is the antidote to not feeling good enough? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, mm. I believe, and this is a hard place to get for some people, and it wasn't, I'm not going to say this was easy for me, but I believe that happiness is a choice and that self-love is a choice as well. And there was plenty of time when I really, and I still to this day, I struggle with self-love, but it's the internal dialogue that has to change. And so for me, choosing to have a positive internal dialogue with myself and instead of beating myself up, changing those messages that I give myself to being more positive and really living that on a daily basis, that is critical. I do believe in options, that there are so many possibilities and options of experiencing this life, but we need to be open. It has to be an openness within us in order to see that. The reason I use the word choice is because that holds you personally accountable. And whether you choose to live in victimhood or negative self-talk, I mean, it's once you decide I'm done with that, I am going to choose to change my dialogue with myself and I'm going to choose to forgive and move forward and I'm going to choose to see the opportunity. Those those are really, there is some personal accountability there. And it really seems to be, right, Carrie? It seems to be very clear that we are responsible for our own actions, our own happiness. It's something yeah. that really comes, I mean, sounds very true. But I do think there's another way 
another message that came to me recently that kind of um, gave me some different perspective about healing and changing all that personally, individually. That has to do with the collective too, because life is a system. It's interconnected. Everything is interconnected. There's nothing separate here. So in order for me to heal individually, then my environment needs to be healed as well. People around me, because like the identity example that we just talked about a few minutes ago, if I feel that I cannot change my identity, I don't want to do that because out of that fear that I won't be accepted by those around me or because it's it's comfortable to be this way because I am that's the way other people relate to me, then I stay the way I am. Right. It seems like it, it it's not just me taking responsibility to heal, but it's my healing, it's everyone's healing, and everyone's healing, it's my healing. And that includes also the environment, I mean, as a whole, everything, the whole system. Yeah. Well, so for me, in order to heal, I had to change environments. I couldn't expect the people around me to change. I could only control my own actions. And so for me, it meant separating myself and moving to a more supportive and loving environment. So that's sort of how I would view that. Yeah, that's what I did too. At that level, out of despair, yeah, I had to leave the environment that was dysfunctional and really abusive. But then I went back in life and I started kind of uh, attracting people with the same characteristics people who were abusive in the same way my parents were. I am 45 now. When I was 37, I was still stuck in that cycle, being around people, finding new environments that would trigger the same kind of response. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting to me to kind of realize that I was still doing that unconsciously. So in a way, we try, we leave the environment, perhaps that the first the ground environment that hurt us, but then we still keep going back to the same kind of environment, just with a different dress, but we go back yeah. to it. That was my case, and I know has been the case many, of many people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I like to say we're attracted to what we know. And so we may not even know that we're. they may on their face or somehow appear differently to us. But if we kind of pay attention to that, you know, like a month in, all of a sudden you go, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> This is the same thing again. It's just in a different different clothing, you know? Yeah. And then, okay, too many ideas and too many uh, questions for you today, Carrie. I hope we can have a chance to talk again, maybe sometime <laughs> in the future. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, going back to the chapter 17, defining moments. There are so many. On being present, you have a story and then you have um, a message there. There's a section where you say, a passage you say, the trick is to avoid expensive lessons and to learn from the stories of others which is something that you mentioned in the beginning. And then you have another section that's called the Gratitude Project, which is beautiful. I love being grateful. That changed everything, that kind of mentality. So talk to me for a moment about the Gratitude Project and how can we participate in it? Yeah. So the Gratitude Project is something that uh, I had a girlfriend who was just had to really become negative. She'd had some really... Um, difficult life experiences, and it had caused her to develop a negative outlook on life. And so I said to her, let's come up with this idea. I came up with a project idea. I said, let's agree to hold each other accountable. And for 30 days, we'll each have one statement of gratitude and do one act of service or act of kindness 
and hold each other accountable and report them back to each other. And so she's like, sure, okay, you know. And we started doing this and it was so much, it actually was really so much fun because it just like the act of the acts of kindness or service, we would get creative. Like I it would go through the whole day and I hadn't done anything yet. And I'd be having dinner with a friend. I'm like, can I do your dishes? Mm-hmm, and yeah, they looked at, they yeah. looked at me like I was crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but you realize yeah. how much joy you get out of doing those things. And so the joy from acting kindly towards other or give or doing acts of service coupled with that mental attitude of, you know, just gratitude over the 30 days, it absolutely transformed both of our lives. For her in particular, she ended up getting her dream job and she has just become a beacon of light for so many people. And for me, it just made me understand the importance of living in that space of gratitude. And it has really just changed how I embrace life. And now I see everything around me I'm like grateful for. And so we put together this project so that we could share this with others. And we actually wrote uh, different gratitude prompts because I found that when I first started doing this journaling, I was repeating myself over and over again. And I think that helping people really be aware of what they're actually grateful for is really helpful. And it puts you in that state of mind. So we, we have 30 gratitude prompts. And then we have a, an activity tracker, which in a whole suggest a list of suggested acts of service or kindness. And it could just be giving, giving up a parking spot or opening a door for someone, but it's about having that state of mind of always looking for things to do. And so we have this that you can download it. My, my website is carrington-smith.com. And if you go to the book tab, the gratitude project is available there and you can download it. And it, it's something you can grab an accountability partner and do it anytime. It's 30 days and see how it transforms your life as it did ours. And really does. Yeah, I know the power of gratitude. It's just incredible. And it's instant too. It's not something that takes time to feel. It's just a feel good from the heart, isn't it, Carrie? It opens yes. the heart. That's what it is. It immediately gives you, you can feel the the boost it gives you immediately when you go in that space of gratitude. It's amazing. I'll have the link on your podcast profile as well. We have, yeah, that same chapter, you have other defined moments. Say no to racism. It's a very powerful one to all of them. Yeah. Incredibly impactful if we can learn from. And this is something that is interesting, how you said earlier about storytelling. It has the power of teaching without us going through the experience, the hardships. Yes. Thank you for doing what you do again, Carrie. Really, the courage is just incredible. It's a beautiful book, really beautiful work. Thank you. So would you like to add anything else before I ask you my final questions? Or would you like to read a passage in your book? No, I um, I hope everybody goes out and gets a copy. Again, it's Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. And I hope that it, you know, it helps other people through what we're still going through. <laughs> the pandemic that will never end. It'll it'll help people see the good, the good in all of us. What do you love most about being in a human body? I love that I can use my body to embrace other people and that I can use my body to inspire and 
and just, yeah, I don't know. When you say that, I immediately think of giving someone a hug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, right? That sounds very good to me, very warm. Um, yeah, how beautiful to think of that way, having a body so I can hug others. Yeah. Wow, that is really beautiful. I never heard that before. <laughs> and another question is, what is another word for freedom? Independence. And my last question is, what three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? Happiness. I'm going to help people experience happiness. True love. And the joy that comes from serving others. Yes, a billion times to all those three things, especially serving others. There's something about that that... It just resonates deeply because I do believe and trust that everything's connected, that we are all one huge family, (laughs) wholeness itself. Thank you so much again, Carrie, for your work, the way you do it, for being authentic, for the way you share kindness and spiritual knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. And before we say goodbye again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Sure. So my uh, social handles for Instagram, um, Twitter, and Facebook are all at CarringtonATX.com. I'm sorry, it's at CarringtonATX for those. And then for my website, it's carrington-smith.com and then of course my book is available on Amazon wonderful thank you again and we'll talk soon bye for now thank you bye thank you for listening to learn more about Carrington Smith and her work please visit carringtonlegal.com To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.